May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. And God's people said, Amen. Two Sundays ago, the prelude that Douglas Jade led on the organ really spoke to me. It was comforting and uplifting. I could tell Douglas Jade that you put a lot of thought and prayer into that selection. And after worship, I went up to Douglas Jade, and Douglas Jade, for those of you who are out uh, watching on the internet, perhaps aren't members here, uh, he is our accompanist and organist and assistant music director. And after worship, I went up to Douglas Jade and thanked him for his work and told him how much I appreciated his prelude. Even though the title was in French, and I don't read French, the music transcended language. Douglas then told me why he had selected that piece on that particular day, and I was pleasantly surprised. The composer is Franz Liszt, and the title is Angelus, Prayer to the Guardian Angels. Douglas told me that he had selected it because of the losses that both Jim Townsend, our senior adult pastor, and I had recently experienced. Jim in the death of his sister-in-law and me in the death of my dad. In a text exchange, text messaging that same day a little later, I thanked Douglas again, and he replied, Thank you again for your message. I'm always so glad to bring music as a medium of spirituality for Huguenot Road Baptist Church. And that, and, and that list spoke to me as a voice of comfort, love, and kindness, especially for you and Jim at this time. Every week, I pray that I would approach worship with a spirit of anticipation and expectation. Not, what am I going to get out of the worship service, but how will I experience God? How will I hear the voice of God? How will I be changed? I hope and pray that each of us will, will, will approach worship with a spirit of anticipation and expectation and that we come to worship, wherever we are worshiping, waiting to be surprised by our God. How will God surprise me? How will God surprise us as we worship together? I imagine that Jonah was quite surprised after he disobeyed God and refused to go to Nineveh. He chartered a ship to Tarshish to go as far the opposite direction as he could. And when the sailors on board ship figured out that Jonah's uh, disobedience was the cause for the storm that was about to break up the ship, Jonah told them to throw him overboard, and they did. Jonah should have perished. But to his amazement, God provided a great fish to swallow him up. 
God provided a safe haven for him for three days and three nights in the belly of that great fish. And then, as you heard read last Sunday, the great fish spit Jonah out or vomited Jonah out, spewed Jonah out onto the dry land. There was a renewed hope for this wayward prophet of God. And as we have heard read, there was a renewed hope for the wayward people of Nineveh. This leads us to Sunday's catch, a takeaway for today. In Jonah chapter 3, Jonah is surprised with a second chance from God. And we are reflecting on these questions. Are we open to God's surprises? Are we expecting God to surprise us? And how might things change if we were? How might I be changed if I approached the throne of grace with that kind of expectation? I invite you to reflect on these questions today and throughout this week, that God will not only speak to our hearts, but that the God of resurrection might just surprise you and me. My prayer for us today comes from the Apostle Paul's words in Ephesians 3. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love surpasses knowledge that you and I may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Let's look at some surprises in Jonah. The first one Pastor Amanda mentioned a minute ago that God gave Jonah a second chance. We've probably heard this expression. It might be even cliche-ish to us that God is a God of a thousand second chances. But Jonah experienced this firsthand. I wonder how many people are sitting on the sidelines when it comes to doing God's kingdom work because they don't feel worthy. They have, we have allowed past mistakes and mess-ups to keep us from the fullness of God's plan for our lives. What's surprising is that God may be ready to put us back into the game, but we are keeping ourselves on the bench. God gave Jonah a fresh opportunity when he caused the fish to spew Jonah back onto dry land, but it was ultimately up to Jonah to obey. Jonah had to take those steps toward Nineveh, and he did. Is there anything in your past, or even someone in your past, that is holding you and me back from getting off that bench and getting back into the game of serving God, doing God's will? You may have heard this story read a hundred thousand times, but you might think that was then. But what does that have to do with me? Let's take a closer look at what happened so far. In chapter 1, verse 1, the word of God came to Jonah, son of Amittai. 
And then in verse 1 of chapter 3, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Essentially, these two verses are the same, except that in chapter 3, it is clearly indicated that this was a second time. It is clear that God gave Jonah a second chance. And it's worth noting that God does not scold Jonah or criticize Jonah here. God just speaks. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jesus did the same thing when he reinstated Peter after Peter's failures in the gospel story we just heard read. Another surprise in Scripture. To our surprise, God demonstrates compassion and mercy in this resending of Jonah. Perhaps God is hoping that Jonah, through his own experience of God's mercy and compassion, will then demonstrate that to same mercy and compassion to the, to the people of Nineveh. We see God as a God of surprises here. One of the surprises that he wants us to use in, this, in, in mighty ways, even when we don't feel worthy or capable, God still desires to use us. Now the next surprise we see is more subtle. If you look at verse 4, God gave Jonah five words. You're like, Pastor, that'd be a pretty short sermon. Five words in the Hebrew. That's all it is. If you go to the Hebrew text, five words. He gave Jonah a simple message. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Five words. Five simple words. When, when God gives us an assignment... God will give us the resources we need to complete the task. God called him, gave him a second chance, and then God gave him the message. That's a, a ministry of God's grace and God's provision. We see this throughout Scripture. God gave Joseph a strong work ethic that he would be noticed wherever he went, even as he was imprisoned in Egypt. In Exodus you remember that God gave Moses the words he needed and he gave him a helper in Aaron. God gave David a shepherd's heart, a warrior's heart to lead his people. God gave Solomon wisdom that he needed in a time when it was needed most. And God gave the Apostle Paul the perfect combination in his Jewish background to reach the Gentiles, to be the right person to speak deeply into both cultures as he carried the gospel further into the Gentile world. And here's something even more amazing and surprising, that God has not only wired you specifically, he, he, he wired you and me that we can do wonderful things for his kingdom. But he also wants us to be dependent on him. God doesn't want us to go out and rely on our own strength and energy and abilities. God desires that we follow Him and rely on His power. I think that's why occasionally God calls us to do things that we're not totally comfortable with, prepared for, or wired up for. Because God is leaving room for you and me to trust in Him. 
The writer of Proverbs says it like this, one of my favorite verses, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. That's Proverbs 16, 9 from the New Living Translation. I see this in the Jonah story as we go back to chapter 1, verse 2. The Lord said, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. And the Lord gave Jonah the reason why. Because of its wickedness that had come up before God. Now we listen to what God said to Jonah in chapter 3. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message, I will give you. I will give you. The Hebrew verb to give expresses continuous action. In other words, Jonah, proclaim to Nineveh the message that I am going to give you continually as you serve me, as you proclaim my word. God is not going to distance God's self from the picture. God will continually be with Jonah and continually give Jonah the message that he is to proclaim. It's very important that God does the same thing for you and me. When God calls us, God will equip us with the tools to do his work. Again, we look at the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. It's clear here in verse 2 of chapter 3 that God was going to be giving Jonah the content of what to preach. Jonah just had to be willing Jonah just had to obey. And the next surprise is that the Ninevites believed God. Because Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, Scripture says the Ninevites believed God. If I were the one whom God called to go to Nineveh, I might be tempted to say, hey, everybody, the Ninevites believed me. They said, Pastor Bob, what a great sermon. Jonah did not do that. The people believed God through Jonah's obedience. This was not an a desirable or easy task for him to be about. Nineveh was not a city where the people would be waiting for a random Israelite prophet to come through and enlighten them with deep truths from God. In, in, in verse 3, the writer refers to Nineveh as an important city. Later in chapter 4, God's Word says there were 120,000 people there. Commentators tell us that Nineveh was some eight miles across, but the region around Nineveh, like 60 miles, that a visit would require three days. And furthermore, the Ninevites and the Israelites hated each other. Nineveh at this time in history was attempting to exterminate Israel. And this is where God called Jonah to go. No wonder he said no. We would expect the Ninevites to react negatively to this man who comes to be a prophet of the Hebrew God, shouting this message, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. And when we fast forward to Jesus, when he proclaimed messages of a similar 
content. He was run out of town, and finally he was lynched on a tree at Calvary. But the Ninevites believed God. Another surprise. They were not believing in the person of Jonah. They experienced the power and presence of Jonah's God speaking through Jonah. Let's get practical if we think about it. Do you and I believe that God working through us can accomplish more than what we can do on our own? Do we believe that there are times God may be leading us in God's timing to say someone to someone else in Christian love? Is it possible that a God-spoken word, maybe five words, is it possible that a God-spoken word through us to someone else could very well be the right time to help that person's life get back on track with God in a trajectory that will help them to experience the purposes that God has for their life? Is it possible that there are all kinds of God-orchestrated conversations that God desires we step into each day when we simply obey? And do we believe that God can still do the unexpected and surprising when we take the risk to speak what God wants us to say to those who need to hear it? Grandparents, is there a word God is leading you to speak to a grandchild who needs a word of wisdom in love? Maybe to say, I love you and I care about you and I'm here for you. Maybe there's a co-worker in your office who's struggling and they know you're a Christian and they've asked for prayer. Maybe God is helping you to lead them to find some answers. Maybe five simple words. What about your best friend? She's dating someone who's a negative influence on her life, and you know it, and she knows it. Can you lovingly say something to her to help her see the big picture? Maybe just five words. Parents, is God leading you to speak out loud a promise from God to your child when you're tucking them bed uh, into bed at night um, to, to, to help them know that God is with them, that God will never fail them or abandon them, that God has created them in God's image, that they are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God planned in advance for them to do. Instead of saying, good night, honey, and I'll see you in the morning to go up into their room and just pray over. Maybe go to the threshold of their door as they're sleeping at night before you go to bed to pray over them and to ask God to help them to be strong and courageous and not be afraid as they face whatever the next day brings. Have you ever been the recipient of that kind of word? Can you dip back into your memory bank and reflect on Maybe five simple words that have been spoken to you by someone through God's grace that have changed your life and helped you to be the person that you are today. Could be a Sunday school teacher, a grandparent, a coach, a teacher at school, a pastor. Think about the people who have influenced you. And perhaps God can use you to be the same change agent in their life today. 
A couple more surprises I see here in Jonah is that repentant people can change an entire community. Repentance simply means to change our heart and follow God. In verse 4, God, through Jonah, proclaimed a message. I think Jonah had a whole lot to say over those few days. Maybe he said the same prayer, uh, the same five words over and over again. Maybe he said a lot of other things that aren't recorded here. But through Jonah's ministry, God changed an entire community. The Ninevites, plural, believed God. And not only did they believe God, they repented. In the ancient world, that's what means is, uh, declaring a fast and putting on sackcloth would have indicated repentance. A humbling of oneself through change of heart. They didn't just believe, they repented of their sin. And then in verse 6, you see this, this surprise that the, the news reached the king of Nineveh. God's proclamation and the news about how that proclamation was impacting the people of Nineveh and that the people's response had an impact on the king. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and ashes, and sat down into dust, in the dust. This king was the king of Assyria, the enemy people of the Israelites. And at least for this time and moment, there was true repentance. And it came through the people to the king, and then the king issued a proclamation that everyone, even the animals, would repent and fast and believe, all people believed God. This is the heart of repentance. It's not just about doing something outwardly, putting on sackcloth and ashes and fasting. The, Pharisee, the Pharisees engaged in those outward kind of activities, as we know, but it means doing something inward, calling on God and truly asking for God's forgiveness and begging for mercy. Repentance is a complete change of direction, a change of heart, and we see that happening among the people. And it influenced the king, and then through the king, it influenced all of the people. Could you imagine what it would be like if leaders today were to model repentance themselves in such a way that the whole kingdom would take notice and follow the king's lead? Leadership happens when that kind of activity is modeled. People will take the example of their leadership and will employ it in their own lives. That's what happened here. In our country today, it is critical that we represent Jesus well and that we speak words of truth and life with the goal of surprising others. Perhaps we will help change others' attitude towards Christians and the church simply because of the way that we live our lives. And as you read through this story, there's a passage in verse 10 that is a surprise God repented you might say Pastor Bob repentance means to turn away from sin but God is perfect and that doesn't 
add up. What does that mean? Listen. Verse 10, when God saw that they, what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented or repented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had planned, that he had threatened. Yes, God repented. The Hebrew word is nacham. It's different from the word shuv. Shuv means simply to turn around. That's used for repentance as well. But it, the text says God nacham, and that means God repented with compassion and lament and sadness. That God was so moved by what had happened that he had a change of heart and spared the people. God repented, God relented, God changed God's course of action and spared the people. I believe this is a gospel seed that's planted way back here in the Old Testament. A picture of salvation by grace through faith. Salvation as a means of faith through repentance. In other words, the message of Jesus, which would have been spoken some 780 years after Jonah, would contain the very essence of Jonah 3, verse 10. And if we go back to his prayer in the belly of the great fish in chapter 2, verse 9, the last part, where he says, Jonah does, salvation comes from the Lord. That salvation comes from the Lord and that God pays attention to the genuine repentance in our hearts should not be surprising at all. These truths are eternal truths rooted in God's character, how God always has been and will always be. Verse 10, again, chapter 3, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Doesn't this sound like what we read in 1 John 1, 9 from the New Testament? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Surprise, surprise. Some questions as we close. Are we open to God's surprises? Are we expecting God to surprise us? Are we open to them? Are we expecting God to surprise us? And how might things change if we were? Each Sunday during this series, we've been sharing a prayer in unison together. The words will be on the screens, and I invite you to read it out loud with me as a prayer. Lord, you have promised to go before me and to be with me. You have promised that you will never leave me or forsake me. I claim that promise right now. I truly believe you can help me step beyond my fears and anxieties as I meet the responsibilities of today. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.